Good afternoon, greater Philadelphia area. This is Tool Time Real Estate Radio on WWDB, 860 AM. I'm Tom Tool. She's Sarah Time, and she's Stacey Mitchell. And we have special guest, Chip Robinson, broker owner of Skyline Property Management. You can check out them at phillyskylinepm.com. And again, Stacey, Sarah, and I all work at the Tom Tool Sales Group at REMAX Mainline, the number one REMAX team in Pennsylvania since 2018. And we've got Gabe streaming everything live on Instagram, Facebook, YouTube. Just Google Tom Tool Sales Group. So, Chip, first off, thanks for coming on, man. I know you got an interesting perspective here being on kind of the other side of the property management. So really appreciate you taking some time here. Thanks for having me. For sure. So we're going to get to your business and talk about that kind of in the second half of the show. What we want to lead with are some stories we've kind of foreshadowed a little bit. We've talked about before. And the first one is the big love letter hot topic, right? So there was news that came out of Oregon uh, last week, I believe. Yeah, it was last week. So a U.S. district judge agreed to lift the ban or lift the pause on the home buyer love letter. So if you don't know what that is, is if you know, Stacy or Sarah's buying a property and they tell their agent, Chip, hey, I'm going to write this great letter about my family and tell the seller why they should pick my offer because there's 15 other offers and this is as good as we can go on the price and we're going to tug at the heartstrings. That's kind of the intent. And previously, last year, Oregon banned these. They were the first state of its kind to ban, um, or not the state of its kind, the first state to ban this kind of love letter. And now all of a sudden it got overturned. So what do you guys think about all this? Well, I was surprised it got overturned. Um, I really thought that was going to start a trend and and just uh, continue to, you know, go through each state. Um, I know how we personally feel about love letters on our team. <clears throat> um, but they, <laughs> they'll continue to happen. So unless there's something, you know, solid that is totally banning them, they'll still continue to be pushed through. Um, some agents just don't know the impact or what the uh, ramifications of these love letters could, um, you know, what could happen if um, there's something exposed, like fair housing violations inside the love letters with, you know, that's just one of the unintended consequences mm -hmm. of these love letters. Um, buyers don't know. They don't really have the concept and understanding of that. They just know they want the house. And this is, <laughs> please, sellers, please, you're going to love our family in your home. And, you know, we go to church on Sunday yep. and you know, all those things. Mm -hmm. So I really did think this was going to start um, to trickle into the other states. But now that it's uh, been overturned, I don't know. We'll see what, what happens. Right. I mean, I would I would definitely agree with Stacy here. I thought that was going to be the beginning of of what would trickle through to, to everyone else. Um, I mean, fair housing is the biggest concern there. And as you're writing these love letters, and I understand like from the buyer perspective, trying to give that extra oomph and that extra like something behind your offer and say like, I'm going to take great care of your home. I'm going to, you know, this is where I want to be for many, many years and raise my family and yada, yada, yada. But any anything that you would be putting in that letter that would have the potential to push the envelope is what would also probably be violating fair housing. So the very like vanilla letter of just like, you know, I will take care of this house, <laughs> dot, 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 dot. <laughs> like without putting those ad additional details in that really have the potential to tug at the heartstrings, the letter itself doesn't um, have much behind it. And I think it is better to have something in place, like a clear, like, no, they're not allowed or yes, they are, you know, just to kind of weed out some of that gray area for mm -hmm. and just to make it clearer and to be able to give a more firm stance um for no i'm not going to be submitting that so and I, chip i want to get to you and see if you run into this on the on the rental side because i think it's probably a, a similar thing that doesn't get talked about uh the u.s district judge uh, marco hernandez um he granted an injunction and said it violates the first amendment about free speech uh that was the the reason why they said it wasn't illegal NAR has not changed their stance on this. So despite the, it being illegal or not illegal, the reality is, as, as realtors, we're held to a higher standard. And it's no different than the wholesaler who wants to be a realtor as well, and they're going to put the public's best interest first, but then they're trying to buy properties and take the equity and put it in their pocket. So I, I get the ruling. 
I don't agree with it in that NAR still, I mean, NAR is just saying you can't do it. So I, I think there's a question here of illegal versus are realtors allowed to present these? Personally, I wouldn't want to put my license at risk because there will be a lawsuit here. I mean, think about how many times you've had a buyer lose out on a property the past 24 months. What, what's the highest number? Oh, gosh. Um, eight. Eight. Yeah, I'd say right there in that range. So as a buyer who loses out on eight offers, how, how are you feeling at that point? Frustrated. Frustrated, upset. right? There's litigious people out there. They might say, you know, and what if they found out they lost out because of one of these letters, right? There's people out there that will sue for any reason, even if they're wrong. And I don't want to be on the wrong side of that. And there is merit to the fair hand. When people are talking about, I'm going to go to church up the street mm -hmm. at St. Blah, blah, blah. Well, now you know what religion they are. Or I've got three kids. Or here's my family. Or my mom's a senior citizen and moving in with us. I mean, all the I've seen all these things happen. So I don't see how an agent can present them, period. Um, with that, do you guys run into this in the rental world, Chip? Like, does this happen? Or what's your take on this? Because it, I haven't heard anything about it outside the sales realm in real estate. So we actually, when I first started the company, we, we let owners choose if the applicant was accepted or not. Sure. And I found as doing this that I had to change our policy and we had to standardize our practices because owners would vi unknowingly would violate fair housing. They just don't know that law. They would say, I don't want kids because the steps are unsafe and I don't want their kids to get hurt. You, you got to fix the steps. You can't say mm -hmm. no kids. Yes. So they just don't know the, they don't know what fair housing that they are violating fair housing. So how did you so. change your policy? That's pretty interesting to me because on, on a rental application, the standard PAR, you get a lot of info way more yeah. than you do with like a buyer financial and a pre-approval letter. So what, what's your policy read like now? So we check five points. We check their credit, criminal background, check for evictions, call previous landlords and verify their income and employment. Then they get scored in each one of those categories and it needs to add up to a certain amount of points. To Got approved. it. It's very systematic. And if we get audited, they're going to check two, they're going to go back two years and they're going to make sure everything's uniform and, and standard. Love it. So yeah. that's how to do it. Everyone that's listening like that is a business based approach. And I love that. I mean, you're like, hey, we had to change it. We saw the issues and it's probably a little more dangerous where you are because they have to check boxes on the PAR standard application. Is the occupant 18 years or older? Who's going to be living in the property? So, I mean, this is information that that's out there. So that, that that's pretty smart. So what do you think about this? I mean, do you think this is a good move, bad move? Should they be illegal? What, what, what's your take? I mean, you're running into this, too. I would. I would make them illegal just because I owner. I just know they don't know fair housing. They're going to mm -hmm. violate it unwell, unknowingly. So, well, that's what I think NAR is trying to do. So, do you think this ruling gets overturned? I think that's the big question here. Because how many times have you seen like one judge who leans one way change something, then it goes mm -hmm. back and forth, and you know that that seems to be kind of my observation of what's going to happen here. But what, what what do you guys think? I think it'll get tossed back and forth a couple of times. <laughs> until finally lands somewhere. I don't know. I don't know if it'll go all the way to the Supreme Court on something like this, <laughs> but you never know. Um, that would be interesting if it did land there um, because then that would totally be precedent and states would most likely follow. But yeah, I think it will get tossed around again since it was already implemented and it's a good start and it really is a good policy. So um, because like Sarah said, if we had something very defined and spelled out and across the board and consistency then people going from one state to the other you know sometimes we find that in different for different situations now but consistency would be pretty nice in in this situation anyway well and i mean i guess with with nar not having changed their policy across the board um i guess what would be interesting to see is how many agents um will end up being fined or risk losing their license or what all will have to happen for that to be the standard that people look more towards than what the state says. Because if you know that through NAR, you're looking at all of these different penalties, does it really matter that what exactly the state comes at? Like, I would think that would maybe trump, um, but it would just depend on like how frequently they're enforcing this, prosecuting this, like looking for examples of it, of it going on. I'm a little surprised they went this way because right now, I mean, discrimination is such a big hot topic, especially after like the summer of 2020 and everything that happened. So I'm kind of surprised they went this way. There's a legal group here. It's called Pacific Legal Group. And, and I think they're part of a lawsuit because there is a suit going on with this that prompted 
Um, I think this, this tip, it's, a, it's an injunction. So it didn't get overturned. It just said the law is going to remain unenforced until the, until the lawsuit goes through the system, which could be like two or three years. And what the Pacific Legal Group said is that these letters often prompt sales below the top monetary offer, creating opportunities for first-time home buyers and giving sellers peace of mind their home ends up in caring hands. I mean, to me, that's like the exact opposite of what we're supposed to do as agents. Right. Totally. That totally contradicts. Yeah. I mean, similar to your scoring system. I mean, it's basically like, okay, here's here's the strength of the applicant, but it's basically saying, let's bend the rules if we like the person. Mm-hmm. And is that kind of your interpretation of this? Totally. Yeah. Yeah. So I don't like this. I, I, I'm with you, Sarah. I think there needs to be a clear, like, you can or can't do this because somebody's going to get sued and it's going to be a problem. I mean, that that's the only way I see this happening. Right. I agree. All right. So we got one other piece of news here we're going to jump into. I think we, we've talked about this almost too much on the show, almost as much as Zillow, maybe. <laughs> uh, so the second piece of news that we have today, and this to me is a little more interesting. So we're going to go a little deeper on this. This dropped on Housing Wire um, yesterday. And what happened was, there's a 70-year-old brick home in St. Petersburg, Florida, um, and it's sold for the equivalent, equivalent is keyword here, $654,310, where the asset exchanged was represented by a non-fungible token or NFT. So, uh, and what, when you went deeper into this, and, and this is pretty, I, I want to get your take on this because I'm, I'm questioning some of the legalities here. It's that, when they uh, when they went through the NFT and ha- how it would work is they transferred the ownership of the property to an LLC, and then with the LLC, that became the NFT. The NFT became the LLC became the non fungible token or the NFT, and that's what was exchanged: the ownership in the LLC, not the ownership in the house. Oh, I'm really confused now. So. A lot of people, you might, you probably know a lot about LLCs. So, yeah. you know, it, it, a lot of people will buy homes in LLCs to protect themselves as it's going to be an investment property. Right. So they have an ownership in the corporation, a limited liability corporation. Right. So what happened with this was that instead of actually selling the deed to the house, the ownership didn't change. The ownership in the LLC gotcha. became the non-fungible token. Okay. And um, as a result, they, and then they said it, it, and they couldn't get title insurance on this, by the way which is an issue we raised the last time we talked about NFTs. So um, what, what ended up happening was the, the, the short of it is that they couldn't get title insurance and the ownership in the LLC was sold as a non-fungible token and the LLC only owned the house. So the ownership of the house exchanged because the corporation exchanged. Mm-hmm. What do you guys think about all this? It's this pretty wild. This is not like a small, and it's not one of these, We've seen some multi-million dollar property sell. This is more of your meat and potatoes sort of home. I mean, a little higher than the average, but still much more in line with the transactions that we're doing. It sounds complicated. (laughs) Um, I don't know. Why didn't they just cash out the NFT? But I guess it was a way for them to transfer the LLC. Um, It's very convoluted and complicated. And you'd have to have a lot of people involved that know how to handle this type of situation. Well, and I I felt like later on in the article, it went on to talk about how this is going to speed things up and potentially streamline things. But I'm seeing like if you're now having to create an LLC and do additional transfers and not have title behind it and have to work in another piece there, I don't know how that makes it better. (laughs) Right. Well, there's a company called Proppy um, that they're they're, they're a five-year-old startup. They're headquartered out in California. And so the agent who sold this, her name's Amy Heckler. She's with Heckler Realty in St. Pete's, St. Pete's, excuse me. Um, and what happened was the seller created the LLC that held ownership of the home. And it was a Delaware LLC because that's where everyone creates them because of the tax benefits. And then they worked with a company called Proppy. And Proppy is a startup that works in, in this world, in this space, in crypto and NFTs. And they guided the seller into minting the LLC as an NFT. So that basically becomes that non-fungible token. It's one of one, right? So it's the only one that that exists. And it's a digital token that pro- provides like a certificate of authenticity. So if you're ever a kid and got like an autograph from like a you know baseball player, they, they came with a certificate of authenticity, right? So then they minted the LLC as an NFT and they provided a certification that they're acquiring the rights to the what the nft represents and in this case the nft didn't represent the property it represented the llc ownership of the property so 
like the it the the at the the home is the asset of the LLC. So what was the benefit of doing it? Was it is was it because they could make the LLC for Delaware and have some type of tax benefit, or like what was they wanted cryptocurrency instead of US dollars? Okay. I mean, do you guys see any upside here? I mean, I feel like this just gets so confusing for a lot of people. And the bigger issue is what if there's a title problem, right? Well, that's the concern there because the, there's no title insurance to protect um, the buyers. But the other, I think this is just the starting point. Like you have to get started somewhere, somewhere to yes. uh, for everything that's new. So there's, you know, like you said, the startup, what is it, property or whatever? Property, yes. Right. So of course they're trying to find, you know, agents to work with that'll go through these processes and learn from the mistakes, the ups and downs, and try to make it more streamlined. And with every transaction that goes on, it's probably going to become better and better and better until they get to the point where it's going to be kind of normal to sure. do, you know, your crypto or with NFTs. So they're they're looking to just crack the code and, you know, start the process. And then over the years, it's going to get better and better. That's what I'm kind of thinking that this is where this is headed. So because title um, insurance wasn't used in there, if this were to come back and be an issue, um, does it go to the courts? Does it yeah. like what's the next step? The agent, her name again, Amy Heckler said, buyer beware. A title company cannot handle this yeah. kind of transaction as an escrow account. And, and laws are a little different state to state. Title insurance is going to protect your interest in the property against the entire world. To me, real estate is already, it, it's the original NFT. Right, it's right. one of one, like you can't, like you own a house. Someone can't just say, Hey, I own the house. And that's why you get title insurance. So you're protected and you can, can leverage that. Um, there, the, you know, I mean, and there's a, there's a law professor that came out and gave some thoughts and then chip, I want to hear what you have to say, because I know you deal with LLCs probably a lot more than most. So the law professor from Widener, her name's Juliet Morangello. Um, she's at Widener university or Widener uh, university Commonwealth. Um, she said that blockchain technology is probably best is probably best to record ownership interests for intangible assets associated with intellectual property rights. But with real estate, we all already have a way to signal ownership. So she's saying what we are. So what do you think about all this? I mean, I, this just, it seems like it's like overly complicated. And the only upside is you want to have crypto instead of cash. Yeah, I really don't know much about NFTs, but what it sounds like to me is they're selling the business and not the mm -hmm. property. So they're like just transferring the LLC to different people, but I don't, I don't have, I don't really know anything about NFTs or anything like that. So, well, so to give some perspective, a lot of your clients have LLCs, right? Yes. So what, what's their main motivation behind that? So the main motivation would be to limit liability. So if someone slips and falls and they make a lawsuit, they can't go after you personally. They can just take the assets of the LLC. So, and I think that may be why they wanted to transfer the ownership, but this is a single family home. So that's kind of why it's not like it's like a, a typical, like rentable property. I mean, I'm imagining you don't manage a lot of single family homes. Uh, some, but mostly like accidental landlords, stuff yep. like that. Yeah, exactly. So, yeah. so do you see that you think this is going to happen more and more, Stace? Is that what I'm, I'm hearing you say? I think they're trying to work it, work through this process and work, work out all the negatives and try to make it a more streamlined, um, easier process in the future because people are going to transact probably through, you know, Coinbase or... <laughs> You know, one of those apps uh, where they all house their Bitcoin and, and their other cryptocurrencies, um, because five years ago, people uh, had a lot of reservations about crypto. And now everybody has a little bit of crypto. You know, everybody's got yeah. their little wallet on their phone. So um, it's becoming more mainstream. And I think that with all the tech companies out there moving to, you know, some are, are accepting crypto as payment for certain things. Um, I think this is their it's trending this way. If they can uh, make the process a little bit smoother and m have it make sense, because right now this really doesn't make sense. It seems like it's way more complicated and convoluted than it than it should be. Yeah, I, I agree. And I see two other potential <laughs> issues. One, I mean, crypto is volatile, right, in what it's actually worth and when and it it can really it can really fluctuate so it using like a huge purchase like a home that just seems until all of this gets ironed out and everything's you know it is what it is um that just that seems pretty risky and then two if title insurance isn't behind this 
I feel like there would be an opportunity there for some criminals to kind of research properties that thing there is a cloud or there's something isn't quite right there and you know try and find an opportunity to to weasel in and disrupt and um make a make an additional profit that way so i feel like the lack of having that title insurance is um i mean i know you said in there that they said buyer beware but i'd say buyer beware <laughs> like that's well, risky that, that's a really good point i mean there's homes we've sold that they didn't get title insurance because they transferred from like a family member to another family member. We got to list it and there's no access. It's landlocked. Like those homes are unsellable until you can get title insurance. So if a title company won't insure it, you've got a problem now selling the business, different thing. Right? So I, I get why they did this until, and I have, I have a thought here and then I'm going to share some news that dropped yesterday until the, the government really regulates how this happens and, and what cryptocurrency looks like. I don't think there's much to talk about here. Now, yesterday, President Biden said he's expected to, or uh, news dropped on, and this is coming from uh, Reuters, so that uh, President Biden is going to sign a long-awaited executive order directing the Justice Department, Treasury, and other agencies to study the legal and economic ramifications of creating a U.S. central bank digital currency. Um, so, I mean, this is going to get addressed because there's, there's too much money in this now. I mean, people right. are... I was at I, I was talking to some of the real estate people we know all over the country. Like half of them own crypto, so it's and there are people putting hundreds of thousands of dollars in this. So I just don't know how it gets avoided. I also don't know how you can transact like this because, like they said in the article, property already it's the original real estate's the original NFT. Right. That's the first one. Mm -hmm. You can't buy the home that Stacy owns right now unless she wants to sell it. Like there's no uh, or the bank takes it over, and that, that I mean those are the options, right? So I just don't. I, I think this is a little risky. I wouldn't want to get in one of these transactions now. Down the line, it could it could very well be the case, but it's no different than like selling a stock or liquidating your 401k to buy a property. I think that's really what it what it comes down to. It's just another form of money. And this is kind of more of a my view, like like it's just a different type of stock. Instead of owning part of a company, you're owning this digital blockchain that has a certain worth. No different than other currency in other countries where people trade like, you know, with you know, yen or rubles or or whatever. Well, and then I guess also if you know, you you purchase a home using the NFT and then years later you want to sell the home. Is are you able to get tight? Like, is there going to be a glitch there? Like, would you be would somebody be able to use title if you wanted to sell this home not using um, it as an NFT? Or I guess you don't. I, don't I, I mean, I don't think anybody knows. And then what will happen is if they have to change the ownership. Right. They're going to get hit with transfer tax. Right. Like you got to pay money to do this stuff. So. You know, it, 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 in theory, it sounds great, I, I, but right now it's, they couldn't sell the ownership in the property because it's illegal to do it using crypto. You can't okay. sell a home as an NFT because well, a lot of NFTs, they, they'll pay the own, let's say Stacy has a digital piece of art or something like that and sells it to you. But then when you sell it again, typically she'll get paid like a percentage on every sale in perpetuity of this. Okay. That's not how they're all set up. But you can't you can't do that residuals. in real estate. Yeah, you, but you can't do that in real right. estate because you can't get title insurance. Right. And they didn't sell this property; they sold the business. Sold the and business. I think that's a great observation yeah. by Chip here. So, I, I just th th there's a long way to go, and then there's got to be a lot of laws that get changed for this to be the norm. I, I just don't see it happening otherwise. It's like the wild west out there in crypto land. <laughs> <laughs> but when they're selling houses on uh, Meta, you know what I mean for millions of dollars, that blows my mind. So. A lot of digital stuff going on in real estate. But what that tells me is actual real estate is going to be even more valuable. Mm -hmm. yep. Like the, like the, you know, the, the virtual real estate and the metaverse and all this stuff. That's fine. What's right. going to be more valuable are actual pieces of real estate with homes on them. I, I just don't, yep. I don't, I don't see it going the other way. So, and you have to really know what you're doing. A lot of people, I'm afraid they're just buying this because it's like the hot thing out there right now, or they want to invest in all these things. You got to spend like 80, a hundred hours studying all this to understand. I mean, how long did it, uh, you know, you, so you run a property management business. How much time studying did you take before you actually like jumped in and built the business? So I worked for a property manager for about four years. Yes, so. There you go. Yeah. yeah. I mean, we've all kind of done that. Right. Mm -hmm. And so you have to learn it as you go. And that, that, that's really the point. So, I mean, good for them that they were able to pull it off. I just, I just don't know this is going to be the norm, at least for the next 24 months. Let's see what happens right. after, you know, the, the, and then if the federal government gets involved, that's going to slow oh, everything well, down. Yeah. Forget that. <laughs> it's going to cause a lot more problems. <laughs> we're going to leave it there with Stacy's forget that when talking <laughs> about the government. So we're going to take a quick break. We're going to come back. We're going to talk about 
FHA doing some interesting loan modifications. Then we're going to talk about all about Skyline Property Management right here in Philadelphia. This is Tool Time Real Estate Radio on WWDB 860 AM. Welcome back to Tool Time Real Estate Radio on WWDB 860 AM. I'm Tom Tool. She's Stacey Mitchell. She's Sarah Timon. And we've got Chip Robinson in the house, owner and broker of Skyline Property Management. If you got a home, you need to get it rented out. It's phillyskylinepm.com. I am also a client. Highly recommend them. And before we get to Chip and his business and the wild west of property management, which is not easy, Philly and non-Philly, we'll, we'll, we'll break it all down. FHA came out with some interesting news. Uh, and this was about, about two weeks ago. So uh, the Federal Housing Administration, they are working to expand COVID-19 loss mitigation to include the option of a 40-year loan modification. So 40 years. So for perspective, the normal loan term is 30. Some people get 20-year terms. Some people get 15. They're talking about moving it out to 40 years. And Julian Joseph, uh, she's the Deputy Assistant Secretary of the Office of Single Family Housing for FHA, said the government agency is very close, getting warmer, and offering the option to borrowers. And they're hoping to have it out in the next 60 days, hearing about what they can do and how they can help people. So what do you guys think about this? Is this good? Is this bad? I mean, I'm, I'm a little shocked they're going this way personally. Well, I'm trying to find in the article what their thresholds would be for to offer these 40-year modifications. Um, my understanding is that the foreclosure or the, um, the folks that are in arrears on mortgages is pretty low at this point anyway, mm -hmm. because it's such a seller's market. And instead of going to foreclosure, they could sell and probably even seek to gain uh, some monetary compensation there for the sale. So I'm just, uh, I'm kind of confused. I, I just want to see if I can find more information about what they're referring to as far as what is the price point that they're um, targeting, you know, who are the people that they feel this would benefit. So and, they didn't really say it. I mean, yeah. I, I, don't, I don't think they have a plan. That's what they're waiting on over the next 60 days. Gotcha. Go ahead, Sarah. And would this be open both to people um, that have FHA mortgages to refinance and then extend out their uh, their time? Or would it be for people that are you know, going in for their first mortgage or so both? There are government entities, F uh, Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac, that already provide a 40-year uh, loan modification term. Um, it also in the uh, in the news here, FHA's proposal came after Ginnie Mae announced in June that it was set to introduce a new 40 year term for its issuers. Um, and that was June of 2021. So what, what the news came out there that uh, Ginnie Mae is going to introduce this 40 year term. And um, but they're only going to and it, it, this is all modification. This is not new um, and only modified loans with terms greater than 361 months and less than or equal to 480 months will be accepted. So let's do some math here and see what that looks like because, uh, so it's 361. So it's people with um, loan terms greater than uh, 30 years, because that's 360, right? I should be able to do that math. Uh, so it's in that, it's in that, or um, less than or equal to 480, which is four, uh, 40 years will be accepted. So they got to be in that like 30 to 40 year. They're not going to let someone who's at like a 15 mm -hmm. modify. Um, or, or even issue that. I mean, you know, personally, I just, I, I hate this idea. I don't know how you guys feel about this. I mean, there, there's too much debt as it is. And to extend a loan term, mm -hmm. it's maybe someone that shouldn't be buying a house in the first place or should sell the house, like to your point. I mean, if someone's in that bad of shape and they're, there's only 650,000 homeowners, according to uh, MBA data, that were in forbearance as of January 31st. Mm -hmm. So those people are probably the ones that, I think you should really think about selling your house rather than modifying your loan. I mean, it may not be what people want to hear. I just see that as the obvious way to go since home values are basically up 20% since the pandemic. Right. Exactly. It seems like that's definitely a better idea um, than extending to 40 years. I don't know. You have to consider the, your age. Good point. <laughs> Do they yeah. consider the, the folks age? <laughs> you know what I mean? That right. should be a consideration. Um, but yeah, I did find that information, 650,000 homeowners. So it's interesting that they're, it's, to me, that's um, that's there's been larger numbers. Um, it's not a lot. It's not a lot. And again, I go back to 
maybe they should sell or downsize, you know, get into something they can afford in a 30 year mortgage or, you know, but to extend to a 40 year. I remember the first time I heard that was probably um, back in like late 90s. One of my clients was getting a 40 year mortgage and it blew my mind. I was like, right. Why would you do a 40 year? I don't know. To me, it just sounded insane. It's a long time. It's a very long time. And I get the the fact that they're like, well, it's a stepping stone. We're not going to extend, you know, we're not going to be here for 40 years. So we'll eventually sell, but it gives us a lower payment. Right. I get that. But still 40 year loan. Right. I mean, I think like they do when you meet with your lender and they look at all of your finances and they do your debt to income ratio and they, they look at all of that. It's all there's purpose behind it. And there's like a formula and a calculation behind it. And I get that if you extend out that, um, you know, your time frame to pay that back, you could still stay within what they're saying that you can afford. But no, I I agree with with Stacy that right now I think your better move would be to to cash out and to to get into something that that you can do in a, a time frame that is more manageable. Mm-hmm. It's kind of like getting a a car an auto loan for like a 10 year There's <laughs> 10 no way you're life. driving that car for exactly. 10 years. It's like right. insane. Yeah. yeah. Chip, what do you think about all this? I mean, you see kind of a, a different side of this, but I mean, is this stuff you're, you're seeing any of your clients do or, or t- tell us more what your observations are? Um, so I agree with you guys. I, I just, uh, the, the market's so hot right now um, that if they can't afford it, they should just sell and may, they'll probably make a profit mm-hmm. and downsize. Mm-hmm. Um, but we don't really get much FHA because there is like, a, they have to live there for a certain amount of time. Mm-hmm. Um, so there is that, uh, we've had actually had a few clients that they bought it as an investment. They pretended, you know, move in, they put some of their stuff in, just didn't rent it out for the, whatever the time period is. And then, mm-hmm. um, converted it to a rental just to get the FHA terms. I, I, I just see anyone that's, if they're still in forbearance now, I mean, I, I'm, I'm going to say COVID's pretty much over at this point. Like this right. is the endemic, like, I mean, kids aren't wearing masks at school. That's like the Yay. last thing. Like, mm-hmm. I, so I mean, and it's really hard hiring people right now. So anyone that maybe isn't working, I, I mean, there, there's that kind of question because I, I mean, that's been tough for a lot of people to, you know, I mean, you know, a lot of people have talked about that, that it's difficult to get staffing for restaurants. It's difficult to get staffing for a lot of these places. So 40 years is just, I mean, you're, you're basically saying like, I'm okay being in debt a long time. And given how low rates are, like, think about this, you're getting a 40 year loan at historically the lowest rates we've seen, except like last year. I just don't know financially. It makes a lot of sense for folks. So I, I, I just don't like this idea at all. Mm-hmm. I think right. it's a bad move. Bad move. Thumbs down on that one. All right. So we're going to take a quick break there. Stacy's been killing the closings. So great job. Um, we're going to come back. We're going to talk about Chip Robinson, Skyline Property Management. Great company, especially if you're a landlord in Philly or maybe just outside. This is Tool Time Real Estate Radio on WWDB 860 AM. All right, all right, all right. We are back on Tool Time Real Estate Radio on WWDB 860 AM. I'm Tom Tool. She's Sarah Time and she's Stacy Mitchell. And we've got Chip Robinson with Skyline Property Management in Philadelphia. Again, their website, if you want to check them out, it's phillyskylinepm.com. Chip, thanks again for coming on. Why don't you tell everyone a little bit about your company, how you guys got started, and then we'll kind of take it from there because I know we got a lot of questions about the current climate, what happens, all this sort of stuff. So, um, yeah, I own Skyline Property Management. We're in uh, Queen Village uh, in Philadelphia at 3rd and Bainbridge Street. Uh, So a little bit about me. I uh, got into real estate in about 2006, and I was actually a sales agent. And um, 2008, the market crashed. (laughs) I remember. (laughs) So I got into uh, property management at that time, and I did like the business. So I worked for another management company for about four years and then started my own company. We've slowly grown over the years. Um, we manage about 300 properties in Philadelphia, a few in the suburbs, um, and we handle everything. We're a one-stop shop. We'll lease, uh, we collect rent, handle all the maintenance, uh, legality. We keep up with all the, the laws in Philadelphia, uh, go to court for uh, evictions if, I, if necessary, things like that. So I have a good team of people handling everything, and that's kind of... Well, to me, it's a great service because I tried managing my own properties myself before I connected with you guys, and it's it's a pain. I mean, you're dealing with like having to go show a rental or, I mean, we know how all this feels here. So I, I, having a good property manager is also very hard to find. 
I mean, I don't know. I, I mean, I'm sure you've probably heard this from a lot of people before. So what, what do you guys do differently? Because I know there's some property managers. You can never get them on the phone. They don't do any of the stuff you're talking about. So what, what's, your, what's your point of difference here? Because I know I've run through them, but I'm sure you're going to verbalize them a lot better than I will. So communication, like our measure of success with that is get back to someone within 24 business hours. That's our measure of success for that. Technology, we're always like keeping up with the latest technology to kind of be as efficient as possible. Um, so we have 300 properties and there's about seven employees. So we need to be as efficient with our time. So technology helps us with that. Also, the one thing we do care, like we care about our owners. We care about our tenants. They don't always think we do, but we do definitely do <laughs> care. Uh, so that's, and the last thing I kind of, I do have a few investment properties myself. So when we're doing things, I put myself in a investor's shoes. Like, how would I feel about this? So that's kind of, that's when I'm creating policies. I just want to I look at their point of view also. So love that. So do we, you have, yeah. um, do you have many, um, different investors and property owners that, uh, have been with other companies prior to coming to you and then, you know, got fed up with different things or felt that it wasn't run well and then have now come to you? Yeah. Yeah. We have, that is, that's pretty common. So, um, yeah, the communication is the main feedback that I get. I can't get mm -hmm. a hold of anybody. I emailed them two weeks ago, no response. So that's one of the big ones. Um, and also some companies are a little bit bigger than us where okay. they have like thousands of doors and they're just like a small number. Sure. So we're kind of, we're more, a little, a little bit smaller so we can serve people a little bit better. Boy, that would make me nervous if you have a property management company and you can't get a hold of somebody and they don't respond for two weeks and they're managing your property. Yeah. It's like, yeah. what the heck's going on yeah. here? Yeah. Um, so as far as your clients go, do you have like, say mom and pop clients that might have a couple of units. Um, what is, I guess, your the smallest amount of property somebody has and then the biggest amount of property? I would say the average is probably one. That's our, really? And then um, we have some with, I think probably the most is about maybe 14 doors. So they might have like, you know, a few different properties with three units in each or something like that. But small to medium-sized landlords. We don't have people with like, hundreds of units or things like that. We're kind of, uh, we're, we, as we've grown, we've gotten a little bit more bigger investors, but I would say the most common uh, landlord is like an accidental landlord. Like they're moving out of town and they want to keep their property or they can't sell it or they don't want to sell it. Sure. And then do, um, are there many that come to you kind of not sure how to get started, where to price that. Like, they're just like, Hey, listen, I, I have this property. I think I want it to be a rental. Like how much do I rent it for? What do I need to know? Do you like take them, yes. hold their hand from the beginning? Yeah. That's kind of a con. They don't know how to price it. They don't know the law because most of our properties are in Philadelphia and there's mm -hmm. a lot of steps you have to take to legally collect rent. So uh -huh. there's some things that you have to do and it is kind of complicated and the city doesn't really do a good job of uh, advertising the rules. <laughs> no way. So, <laughs> I don't believe it. So uh, we kind of hold their hand and uh, just guide them through it. We pretty much do it for them. Like our, our mission statement is, is to simplify the lives of investor owners and tenants. So mm -hmm. we just want to make the, we just want to send the money and not have to uh, have them do any of the work. Do you get many people that maybe had been renting to someone else before and weren't necessarily aware of the different rules in place there for collecting rent and they were just having their tenant Venmo them? Yeah, we've had a lot of people that, for example, they say, I said, do you have a rental license? They're like, what's that? Oh, yeah. no. uh -oh. <laughs> <laughs> My tenant hasn't paid uh, rent in three months, uh, but I don't have a rental license. So things like that. Right. Hmm. So as a property manager, um, what is the most common tenant phone call that you receive about, I guess, the most common issue or problem? Um, maybe they can't pay their rent. And a lot of times, well, uh, there's an ongoing maintenance issue. So that's why I'm not, they have excuses. Mm -hmm. So, um, and it, it is a crazy business. We've had everything from, unfortunately, tenant deaths to it's, it's like we're basically, uh, putting out fires constantly. all day. So, yeah. yeah, it's a tough, that's really tough. <laughs> yeah. So, so one of the things we hear a lot is like, Hey, I want to become a landlord. Can Stacy or Sarah, can you sell me a property? So what, 
what would you tell someone that isn't a landlord yet the questions they should be asking themselves to see if this is going to be right for them? Because you mentioned a lot of accidental landlords. That's probably why they're going to your company in the first place, because they don't want to deal with it. At least they're smart enough to do that, in my view, or they're going to the expert. What should people be asking if they're thinking about becoming a landlord? Because to me, like you said, there, there's all kinds of things you don't consider. Yeah. So one thing, if they're going to say they lived at their house and they're going to move out, if they have any emotional attachment to that house, <laughs> they should not be a landlord. <laughs> so like, um, it's a business now. They have to look at it as a business. The city of Philadelphia looks at it as a business. You have to have a commercial activity license. That's a business license. So it's if you can't switch your mindset, then you shouldn't be a landlord. A uh, second thing I would recommend, if you're not going to hire a property manager, I would join HAPCO. They have a lot of good information about the rules. They keep up with that. They have attorneys that work for the organization. So just keep up with all the laws. That's very important. Great stuff. And again, if you want to connect with Chip and his company, it's phillyskylinepm.com. So you mentioned technology. And, and like I said, I'm, I'm a client of yours. Talk about the technology that makes it easier for your landlords, because a lot of people, they rely on like, oh, when's the money going to get there? Are you mailing a check? I know that's not how you guys are set up because it, it is really turnkey. And I think that's important to kind of realize, because if you're going to be hands off, you want it to be like totally hands off. Yep. So uh, we we have an owner portal. Um, so for as on the owner's end, we'll always we'll never send paper checks. We direct deposit money right into your I, bank. I was kidding account. about that, by the way. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but uh, uh, all the statements are electronic. Um, you can go to our website uh, and find your owner portal login um, for maintenance. We do have uh, some uh, kind of automation with that uh, communication tools with the maintenance department. Uh, we use some other things uh, for tenants, um, inspections. It's all digital. So, I love that. That's awesome. Very streamlined. Now, let's say you have um, an investor who you know comes to us and says, you know, I'm interested in getting some investment properties. And you know, with uh, in these situations, it tends to be less emotional. They're looking at everything on their Excel sheets. They've got everything broken down. What? is there like a certain formula or a certain um, way to break down what they should plan on, you know, spending on a property manager or is it case by case? Like how um, does it, how does that work? So as far as our, our the percentages, mm -hmm. yeah, it's, you can definitely say that based okay. on what are the projected rents, you can, a percentage of that will go to the property manager Okay. for maintenance. Um, a good rule of thumb, depending on if it's a building or if it's a single family home, if it's a single family home, I would uh, uh, advise them or recommend to them to hold at least one month's rent in like an escrow account just for sure. incidental maintenance. You never know. You might not spend that for five years, then the heater goes and you right. have five months in maintenance. So Sure. Should landlords be talking to their property man or property insurance companies if they're that accidental landlord? This, this I think, is Absolutely. a big concern. So talk about that because I think you mentioned like laws and different things. What, what what conversation should they be having with insurance companies? So they should be uh, switching their policy, first of all, to a homeowner's to a landlord policy. I would recommend upping their liability insurance and lowering the personal property insurance because you're not going to insure the tenant's uh, possessions. They're going to get their own insurance for that. So that's going to get lowered. And then your liability insurance, you want that to go higher. That's really good advice right there. Nobody ever does this stuff. Yeah, I mean, they, keep you, I mean, they, they just keep their regular policy and then a claim happens and you're in trouble. Right. Yeah. And then there's the vacancy issues and all sorts of stuff. So uh, that, 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 that's really, really good advice. Do you usually recommend that they get um, an umbrella policy or some extra level of coverage there? I recommend a minimum of 500,000 per occurrence for liability. Um, if they want to get more, it's better. Uh, mm -hmm. But that's like at the bare, anything below that would be not advisable. Okay. So what's the what's the wildest thing that's happened as long as you owned your company? I mean, or one, one of your more unusual stories, because we all got our weird real estate stories. And, I, and when you're going into people's houses and you're dealing with where people live, maybe something that was just unexpected made you laugh. Um, well, one thing that came up the top of my head is I don't know if it's funny, but uh, we've had <laughs> squatters that were and it happened right during the pandemic oh. where there's a squatter. Well, first, the tenant. It allowed a roommate in uh, illegally, and then the tenant uh, actually died. 
Oh my gosh. And then wow. there was squatters. The person wouldn't leave and let other people in. And then she moved out and there's more squatters. And then they let another person in. And so we had like repeated squatters. <laughs> They're still actually in the property and we're in the process of evicting them. And it's been like two years. Oh so my gosh. Just, wow. yeah. yeah. So that's uh kind of like a horror story there's probably yeah. funny stories i just can't think of <laughs> i mean but that, that's real life though this happens right. probably more than you think yeah and i mean unfortunately it's sad sometimes but tenants die and it does kind of happen frequently like a couple times per year and that's kind of just a sad thing that you have to deal with so how let's say there, there's a squatter you have to evict somebody because this is what no one ever wants to talk about and we'll go inside and outside philadelphia because i'm sure there's two different answers here Post pandemic, because we know there was there was the eviction ban and all that stuff that was happening. So how long can someone expect it to take to get a tenant out who's not paying or who's violating the lease? So in Philadelphia, it would take about two to three months. That's on the long end. That's um, less than I thought it was going to be. Yeah, that was before. Uh, okay. COVID. Okay. Well, what would it be today, knowing today, that kind of like COVID's over? Today, and I get that question asked a lot when I talk to owners. But I'm what I tell them is. I can tell you right now, but I'm not sure because they keep on changing the rules. Okay. So I would say now if I wanted to estimate, it'd probably be six months. Uh, But uh, I don't know because they keep on adding additional steps and then taking them away. They don't even know. I don't think the courts know. And the courts are very backed up. We couldn't evict for two years. Mm -hmm. So all those cases for two years are now in the court system. Um, So we're like Skyline. We're at court at least once a week just getting our backlog of people we don't have a lot of evictions but the people that we do finally we get in court date so it is moving it's just really slow man that's all the nightmare stuff that people don't realize they think that it's just like being a business owner everybody sees the money coming in oh you must be rich you must be this and that and the other but they don't understand there's a whole flip side to it there's a lot of hard work there's a lot of nightmare stories like that um, so, and you're the company that's willing to handle those situations, which yeah. is, I mean, that's invaluable actually. It's yeah, really I agree. Yeah. It. Yeah. Yeah. We, uh, because we have the experience, it's just, we take our emotions out of it and just follow our process. That's all we can do. Just follow our systems and processes. Mm-hmm. So what, what about outside Philadelphia? Is it a quicker process? I know you don't do a lot of business out there, but you it probably run into it once in a while. Yeah. So in the city of Philadelphia, it's really, you can evict without an attorney, but it's not really advisable. But in the suburbs, it's a lot easier. The courts are, it's just a lot easier. You could probably do it without it, an attorney and be all right. And it would be definitely quicker. I would say it'd probably take 30 days. It's a big wow. difference. When it's, it's interesting what you said there about um, that you guys take the emotion out of it and just kind of handle it. And you had also said, earlier in the conversation, how if you're emotionally attached to the property, you know, you probably shouldn't be having that as as your rental. Mm-hmm. Um, I would imagine that for many people, when these different situations come up, they they need a certain amount of time to like process it, get angry about it, be like, you know, how could this be happening to us? And like you're wasting days and and time there and having somebody that just is like, all right, this is what we got to do next. Like, I get that it sucks, but like, let's go um, would would make things just move along much quicker and, and take, take a lot of the anger and frustration out of it. Yeah, that's right. And we kind of, a lot of the experience, we've had similar experiences, so we kind of know what to expect. It's we're almost desensitized. Sure. Well, it, it, and once you go through these a couple times, and I, our business is no different. You kind of know, okay, this happened, then here's what the process is to do it. And that, that experience is invaluable because so many people think it's easy being a landlord. I mean, and, and I think that's the, the, one of the biggest misconceptions out there and everyone thinks, you know, well, we're talking about buying real estate and it's better than an NFT or all this other stuff. And it's like, okay, great. But they don't get what the day to day is like. And they want to maybe save the management fee and do it themselves. Mm-hmm. That to me, if you, if you have another career or job, just don't do it. Hire a good mm-hmm. property manager. I, I can't stress that enough. I mean, do you get a lot of people that come to you after they tried to manage on their own and they're like, please just take this off my plate or <laughs> how, how does that work? Those are the type of owners I like the most just because they understand how hard it is and they're very appreciative. So, yeah, I get that quite a bit. Who's your ideal client? Um, someone that's just uh, on board with how we operate and just uh, is letting us do our job. Someone that wants to 
us to manage it and not wants to be like a partner like they want to manage it with us uh they want us to do our you know they just let us do our jobs <laughs> Love I, that I could see there's some people that want to manage it with you yeah. how do you handle those folks um well we d we'll tell them no it's this way and then uh, if it gets to the point where they don't like our way we just say listen you know nothing no hard feelings but uh you know it might you might want to just do it all yourself instead of partial. <laughs> yeah. I love that. All right, so we got like three minutes left here. So what else should people know about Skyline Property Management Chip? I mean, I've, I think you have a great company. Um, obviously, I'm a client there, so that speaks volumes. I think I've given like five references, referred to some people. So what what else should people know about your organization, your company, it's, and, and what, do you, what do you want to get the word out about? Yeah, I just, uh, I think we're very, you know, we keep up with the laws, which is very important. And we do a competent job. So we're very detail oriented. My team is just, uh, I th you're in good hands. We treat you as like they would be one of my properties or so we just treat everybody, uh, I think, nicely, including uh, tenants and owners. So. so how does it go with the tenants sometimes? Because they probably feel like you're the bad guy. Like yeah. do, you, do you get that a lot? So how, yes. how do you disarm them? Because I think that's, you know, tenants always feel like they're on the short end of the stick, no matter how it goes. Yeah, we just, we try to be kind. They don't always uh, agree with us, but uh, we do, we'll enforce the law, the, the, the lease as it's written, but we'll be nice about it and we'll be respectful. And that's all we can do. So Chip and his company, they have 158 reviews on Google right wow. now. Very impressive. That is. Again, it's Skyline. Uh, I've lost the website here. My bad, Chip. Let me get it uh, again. So it's phillyskylinepm.com. Um, is that the best way for people to get in touch with you? Or is that, yeah. is that how you want contacts coming through? Yeah, they can just put in a little form there and I'll, uh, I'll, I'll uh, get back to them right away. Awesome. So, so where do you see property management going? Now that we're kind of post pandemic here, is it going to be something that's there's a bigger need for it? Do you have you seen a lot of landlords liquidate that you might you might have been working with or do you see more landlords actually coming into the market? I've seen a lot. Of, I'm getting a, getting a lot more multifamily and a lot of our single families have actually sold okay. just because the market's hot and the, the probably the market's good. And then the laws that keep on getting passed in Philadelphia are a little bit not landlord friendly mm -hmm. so uh sure. it's making people sell but then the multifamilies coming into philadelphia so do you have any plans for expansion more so in in the suburbs i yeah i've definitely thought about that so it might be a little bit easier to operate um yes, yes come to the suburbs <laughs> we could probably refer you a ton of business chip yes. uh, out that way for sure so i think that would be that would be one 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 thing that would be awesome so um again it's phillyskylinepm.com um they've got Great technology, great tools. Chip, thanks for coming on. Um, that's going to be it for this week's show, guys. I'm getting played out like the Oscars here. So you want to follow us on social. Again, it's phillyskylinepm.com for Chip Robinson and Skyline Property Management. You can follow Stacy on Instagram. She's at the number two Mitchco. You can follow Sarah on Instagram at Ty underscore Ty Time. That's T-Y underscore T-Y-T-I-M-E. You can follow me at TomTool3RD at TomTool the third on Instagram. And we stream live every week on Facebook, YouTube, and Instagram. Just Google Tom Tool Sales Group. And that's it for this week's episode of Tool Time Real Estate Radio on WWDB 860 AM.